episode, we're talking about a disease that a person is diagnosed with every minute, that two people are hospitalized for in America every minute, that one in five Americans will develop something that we don't talk about enough. It's a complicated disease with a high mortality rate, and it's called heart failure. Let's get into it. Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. Well, you guys, as promised, I have sought out another very special guest for this episode of the Purple Stethoscope. In fact, believe it or not, I have I'm bringing to you the most important person in the world. And I know that that might be uh, very intriguing, so I am going to introduce them without further ado. My mom. Hi, mom. Hello, sweetheart. I remember, like yesterday, July 2012, when... Doc, who is my brother, um, Doc called and said he was taking you to the ER, um, that you were having trouble breathing. And I remember being kind of surprised because I was used to daddy having issues with his health, but I was not used to that with you at all. Um, And so he took you in, and I was working in cardiology then also, And um, he told me when I talked to you and when I talked to him, they had given you an inhaler. And I just remember thinking, well, that's ridiculous. You're 62 years old. If you had asthma, we would have known that you had asthma. And I don't remember if it was a couple days later or the next day or what, but he called me and he said, you still couldn't breathe. He was taking you back. And I told him that before he left, he needed to ask for a very specific test, um, a B-type natriuretic peptide, and um, not to leave without getting that blood test done. They did that blood test and then transferred you to my hospital um, for a higher level of care. And it wasn't too long after that that you were diagnosed with heart failure. That to me, was the beginning of you having heart failure. Um, But I wanted to ask you, um, when were you first aware that something was wrong or did it come on all of a sudden the way I remember? The heart failure problems actually came on very gradually. Um, I was... In my 40s, I think. Um, And I noticed that in getting ready for church, I couldn't get through getting dressed without uh, losing energy. I would be short of breath, sometimes even sweating. And I thought, I don't need these nylons. Just putting them on was too much work. And I stopped dressing up to go to church because uh, I worked in the... Uh, children's ministry in the Sunday school classes anyway. I didn't have to go into the sanctuary uh, where people were properly dressed, so I just stopped getting dressed. I also noticed that at some point I had a loss of appetite with weight gain. Um, I was also easily fatigued. And those things are very unusual for me because I was usually on the go, 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 very active. Um, I didn't know what to call what I was going through. I could only describe the symptoms when I uh, went to uh, see a doctor or whatever, and they would tell me that I was fine, it was all in my head, and... um, At first, I accepted that, didn't seek a second opinion or anything. I 
was doing low-impact aerobics daily in the mornings, and I was jogging up to two miles a day in the evening. So I thought, well, whatever it is, um, I'm taken care of. I'm, I'm, I don't smoke. I don't drink. Um, I get to bed at a reasonable hour. So I'm, I'm good. And um, with that, I sort of lulled myself into a, a denial space where I just really didn't give the weight of seriousness to the symptoms that I was experiencing that I should have. You, um, in saying that, what you remember, you named quite a few symptoms of heart failure that I feel strongly... um, aren't recognized in primary care uh, as often, obviously, as we recognize them in cardiology, Um, because we're seeing that every day. We're working with people with heart failure every day, and we hear people recount symptoms just like what you're saying every day. Um, For the primary care practitioners out there, if you're listening, um, I think one of the most important things that when it comes to heart failure, just understanding is that heart failure is a clinical diagnosis. Yes, we can do an ultrasound of the heart, an echocardiogram, and measure, you know, how much blood is being pumped out with each contraction. We can look at whether different chambers are enlarged, but heart failure is a clinical diagnosis. And when we see people in clinic without an echocardiogram without the BNP lab test, we are able to call their heart failure compensated, which is well-controlled or decompensated, um, which means that they're not doing well on their current therapy. Um, We also call it chronic and acute on chronic. So for those of you who've been listening to the purple stethoscope uh, for some time, you know that acute is something that lasts six months or less and beyond six months is a chronic problem. Um, The symptoms of heart failure are a lot of what my mom just named, shortness of breath, fatigue, Some people get swelling in their legs and ankles, and I want to be clear that some people never have peripheral swelling or swelling in their legs and ankles. Um, Some people have a rapid heart rate. Um, When the heart doesn't pump well, it tries to make up for that by pumping more. Um, And alternatively, if you have heart rhythm issues, you know, that you have uh, fast heart rates or an arrhythmia that causes your heart to beat fast, that can put you into heart failure. The nice thing about that type of heart failure is that we can fix the rhythm and give you medicine to make your heart stronger. Um, laying flat, not being able to, to breathe lying flat is a symptom of heart failure. Um, and it's a symptom that I think a lot of people don't think anything of. Uh, people rattle that one off to me all the time, and they don't even think anything of it. But the decreased appetite coupled with weight gain is probably one of the most frustrating things that I hear from patients all the time. I saw a guy a couple weeks ago, and he had not received a, a diagnosis of heart failure. Um, but I'm positive that once all his test results came back, he would. And he said he'd gained 30 pounds in two months and he wasn't hardly eating anything. You know, that he was very mindful of his diet because in his mind and in the mind of a lot of people who uh, have heart failure, he thought he was getting fat. He thought he was gaining weight because he wasn't exercising enough or because he Uh, was eating bad food. And so I hear that a lot from patients and I tell them water is heavy. (laughs) You know, when you have water, when you have fluid backed up into your tissues, it's heavy and it, and it weighs a lot. 
Other symptoms are fast breathing, um, getting short of breath with exertion, you know, with any exercise, um, excess urination at night, getting up multiple times a night to go to the bathroom. Um, so those are some of the symptoms. And how could I forget? Chest pain. And and people who have heart failure, a lot of times the way that they describe their chest pain is a pressure. They don't they don't describe it as, you know, heart attack pain or angina. A lot of times they will just describe a pressure on their chest. Do those things sound familiar beyond what you already said, Mom? They resonate. I got to a point when I later, um, later on, after my 40s, uh, I think I was in my 60s, maybe 61, maybe already 62, uh, where I couldn't lay flat. My heart felt like it was waterlogged, um, and I couldn't... I've had to favor my left side or just sit up. And I got up multiple times at night because I would doze off and just be in a um, prone position without realizing it. And I would wake up coughing. And uh, that feeling of my heart being underwater... And I'd have to sit up. And I, so I lost sleep, which didn't help the situation. But um, it was very surprising and, and even scary. I also lost um, cogn- some cognitive function. My thought process slowed. I was easily confused. And I just couldn't, couldn't figure out what was going on with me. Um, I did get second and even third um, opinions from doctors, but they all were saying the same thing. They would look at records, my medical records, where I had been seen before for the same complaints, uh, where doctors had said it was all in my head, and so they told me the same thing. I saw um, quite a few doctors, but... I didn't get any information or help that was of benefit to me until I received the clinical diagnosis. And I guess I'm wondering how a clinical diagnosis differs from a regular diagnosis. That's a good question, and I'm glad that you asked it because sometimes I say things that make perfect sense to me, and then I go... You know, I don't. I don't know if people know what that is. So, a clinical diagnosis is a diagnosis that is made without a specific diagnostic test. Meaning, there's there's a few different ways you can diagnose heart failure. You can um, do an echocardiogram. You can do certain blood tests. Um, there are more invasive tests that can be done, but. A clinical diagnosis means you come in, you see me, I have nothing but a stethoscope. I listen to your story, I examine you, and determine that you're in heart failure. Um, that is something that I think, I, I guess I kind of sometimes feel like is a lost art. You know, you, you can diagnose pneumonia clinically. You don't have to have a chest x-ray. You listen to lung fields and if... If there's no air movement in a certain lobe, um, coupled with the patient's story and other symptoms, you make the diagnosis. You don't have to send people off for this extra um, costly things. Um, and so that's what I mean when I say heart failure is a clinical diagnosis. I don't mean that a person can diagnose themselves. So if you're listening and this sounds like you or somebody that you know, you still need to seek medical attention um, because unfortunately, heart failure can be fatal. And actually one in nine people in the United States die from complications of heart failure or heart failure attributes to their death. So it's not anything to play with. Um, 
you know, if you if you're listening and you are like, oh, my gosh, I've been having the same symptoms or this really resonates with me or, you know, nobody has been able to diagnose me and I'm still having this issue. um, We definitely want to arm you with some things that you can take in with you to empower yourself to ask for certain ask specific questions and ask for specific tests. Um, insurance rules way too much of what we do. I try not to gripe about it too much, but it really upsets me um, because a test like an echocardiogram, it's non-invasive. It gives us a lot of information about the heart and you can get a diagnosis, um, a, a formal diagnosis of heart failure from an echocardiogram. Symptoms like shortness of breath, um, coughing, um, dyspnea on exertion is the terminology for, um, you know, you're fine when you're at rest, but whenever you get up to do something, you get winded. Um, those are things that can warrant an echocardiogram, which is a, and you've had plenty of those, mom, where you lay on, on your side and they put the gel on your chest and move the um, sonographer around and they're looking at valves. They look at the thickness of the chambers, the size of the chambers, and how much blood is pumped out um, when your heart beats. Um, I think another thing that's really shocking, and I want to talk about this, and I, I think you'll probably <laughs> be able to weigh in on this too, mom. When you do get a diagnosis of heart failure, it's not a one medication diagnosis. Uh, Heart failure typically does not come on immediately. Now, there are some cases with ischemic heart failure. If you have a blocked artery or or a coronary artery becomes blocked and suddenly the heart's not getting blood, and and so that can be a quick failure. Uh, There is something called stress cardiomyopathy, also Takasuba, and it is when basically um, it's a trauma-related heart failure. You know, um, I've seen patients who lost pets, who lost children, who lost spouses, who lost parents. Um, I've seen patients who had to intervene in life-saving situations and their heart failed. I've had a patient who was really struggling with some really difficult things with their teenage child that had heart failure. So there's those kind of things that happen that can cause it to come on quickly. But for people who get hypertension um, and have it untreated or poorly controlled for a, a long time, that can cause heart failure. If you have an arrhythmia like atrial fibrillation or um, sinus tachycardia or other uh, rhythm problems that cause your heart to beat fast, really fast over time, that can cause a person to go into heart failure. So when I see patients for the first time, other than um, you know the symptoms that they tell me that are all pretty pretty similar for the most part, The next hurdle we have to clear is all the new medicine they're on. And a lot of people never have been on medication before. Like, like you. Yes. So there's, there's, um, different classes of medicines and I'll share those, um, kind of quickly just for people who really want to dig in and know more about it. Um, there are ACE inhibitors or ARBs. Um, there are beta blockers. There are diuretics. There's aldosterone agonists. And sometimes we have to replace potassium, um, because of, of diuretics. Um, those are the mainstay heart failure medications. So I'll throw some of the names out there. Lisinopril. Um, now that I said I'll throw some names out, I won't remember. Losartan, Valsartan, Metoprolol, Carvedilol, uh, Furosemide, also called Lasix, Torsemide, um, Spironolactone. There's a new medication. We call it an Arnie, and it's... Um, a combination of uh, uh, two different medications for patients who have heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction. Um, and 
you know, anybody who gets a diagnosis of heart failure, the first thing that's probably going to happen is they're going to get water pills or IV medication to make them urinate because we got to get that water out of the system off um, so that they can breathe better. Um, so that's the first medicine that we go to. And then, you know, we, we add things a little bit at a time um, to see what a person will tolerate and how far we can go. When we treat heart failure, we start low, we go slow, but we have to follow up regularly. I mean, sometimes every two weeks for people who are in acute failure, sometimes every three days to titrate these medicines so that we can get to the maximally tolerated dose or the max dose of the medicine. There's a lot of research that has gone into that. I'm not going to go into that for for this audience, but the the big takeaways are these medications have side effects. And people don't want to take them because they don't want to be running to the bathroom all the time because their blood pressure gets low and they feel poorly. Low blood pressure does not make you feel very good. And most people who've been walking around with very high blood pressure for a long time um, really don't feel well once their blood pressure is in a normal range. Um, People get cramps in their legs and in their feet from losing electrolytes. Um, And uh, there's a lot of tweaking that goes on with, with... heart failure with initiating treatment and with getting to the right treatment. But it's so important to take the medicines, to communicate with your practitioner, to go to those follow-ups because heart failure is a one-way street. It's a terminal disease. Heart failure is a terminal disease. Um, So our goal is to slow the progression So we got to get in control of it very quickly in the beginning and then keep people on their medicine, keep them coming to their follow-ups and teach them the signs and symptoms of when they need to come back and see us or call us and let us know what's going on. Before I go into the signs and symptoms that warrant attention once you already have a heart failure diagnosis, Mom, I want to ask you how what it was what it was like to go from not taking any prescription medications to having five medications when you were discharged from the hospital. Well, it was it was uh, not easy at first. One of the biggest problems I had was remembering to take the medications. Um, and sometimes it it was like, well, I didn't really have the respect for the my need for medication that I should have had. It takes discipline to... Uh, stay on schedule with your medications and the dosages. It's a serious thing, and it does deserve, well, it demands your uh, attention. CHF is a life-changing occurrence. Your routines are going to be affected. Um, boundaries there are going to be boundaries that must be observed in order to manage, well manage uh, this condition. And unless those things are done, um, it's, well, experiences with uh, congestive heart failure won't be as... Um, as good as they could be, as optimum as they could be. Uh, I had a lot of learning to do. I had a lot of adjusting to do. I had to reprioritize my daily uh, routine. And it requires patience. Oh, my beloved, dearly beloved, it requires patience with yourself because your life is changed. It's not going to be what it used to be.
I think um, that is very true with most people who get this diagnosis. But I do want to say there are some types of heart failure where people recover. If it's a blocked artery, we can open the artery. If it's a valvular problem, like a valvular heart failure, we can repair and replace heart valves. If it is uh, a stress cardiomyopathy, we can take medications. We typically have people have a repeat echocardiogram three months later, and um, a lot of times they recover their function. But for people with dilated cardiomyopathies or idiopathic cardiomyopathies, meaning we don't know what caused your heart to go into failure... It is definitely, just as you said, is a lifelong um, process that deserves, that demands um, your attention and your respect. And priority. And, and priority. Um, I think another thing that's really complicating about heart failure is access to care. Um, I think if you're retired, coming to an appointment every two weeks is maybe not as difficult as it is for people who are younger and married or raising families or working 40 hours a week. Um, So I want to give a few tips to people um, to make this a little easier. Um, My number one tip would be shop around for your meds. You're going to be taking medications. These are not short-term meds. It's not like a course of antibiotics, like you take it for five days and then you're done. Your medicines are lifelong medicines, and you have to be able to get them. One of the number one reasons for heart failure decompensation is people not taking their medicine, whether they need or whether they don't have access um, to the meds or they ran out of meds or they don't have the money to get the meds. Um, That's one of the big ones. An acronym that I use um, for why a patient decompensated with heart failure is the acronym FAILURES. And this is a little bit heady for my provider followers. Um, It might make more sense for people who are not medical providers. Bear with me because I'll make it make sense for you too. The F is for forgetting meds, number one thing. This is how we decompensate. The A is for arrhythmia, especially if you're somebody who has atrial fibrillation or another arrhythmia that causes your heart to beat really fast. The I is for ischemia. Ischemia is a blocked coronary artery or um, demand ischemia. The, um, I'm trying so hard to keep this <laughs> to keep this as entry level as possible. So, um, lifestyle is the, for the L, and that lifestyle is dietary sodium is the one of the major things. You guys hear me say this all the time. If it's out of a box, a bag, a can, the freezer section, the drive-through restaurant, a sauce, there's so many hidden sources of sodium. And one of the only ways to really truly avoid sodium is to eat fresh, eat fresh foods, get to know your produce section, get to know home-cooked recipes that... Um, involve using fresh food. 68% of the sodium in our diet comes from processed foods. So the more you can cut out processed foods, um, convenience foods, the better. Only 4% of your dietary sodium comes from uh, is found naturally in foods. And um, also a very small amount. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'll, I'll put them in my Instagram post. Um comes from adding salt. So I hear patients tell me this all the time. This is one of my favorites. I don't put salt on anything. I don't even have a salt shaker in my house. And then they tell me about the two cans of tomato juice a day that they drink. And then we pull it up. I actually go to Google, pull up their tomato juice, and have them look at the amount of sodium. Um, 
Alcohol also falls under the L for lifestyle. There is another type of cardiomyopathy, and cardiomyopathy is a name um, for heart failure. It's it's a word that we use um, to describe heart failure when uh, a person's heart beats better than 35%. And alcohol-induced cardiomyopathy is kind of one of my favorites because it's really easy and non-invasive to fix. You just cut back your alcohol. Um, You do not stop drinking alcohol abruptly. Um, That can be fatal, but you cut it back and you cut it back and you cut it back. And if you're a very heavy drinker, you may need to um, enlist the help of your primary care provider uh, to do that, that safely. Methamphetamine is one that we see a lot in our practice. Um, I, I've heard from patients that meth makes you feel like a superhero and like you can do anything. Um, I wish that they could read uh, their echocardiograms before and after. I have had a patient whose EF or their ejection fraction, the amount of blood that they were pumping with their heart was 10 to 15% when they went into the hospital. And it's 55% now. And the only thing that he's done different is stop using meth. So the L is for lifestyle. The U, this is another (laughs) kind of medical one. It stands for upregulation, pregnancy, um, I'm glad that I pulled up this acronym because I forget about pregnancy because we don't in our in our practice handle um, a gestational heart failure. But pregnancy, if you're pregnant, and I don't care how old you are, if you're pregnant and you're having these symptoms, you need to seek attention and seek it quickly. Um, thyroid issues, uh, specifically hyperthyroid can cause a person to decompensate with heart failure. Renal failure, also known as kidney failure, um, can cause a person to decompensate. Um, And I so want to go off on a tangent, but we're already 30 minutes into this episode, so I'm not going to. But kidney failure is very, very prevalent in our community. Um, Hypertension and kidney failure cause a lot of problems in the black community. And I, I wish I wish I had um, more time. Maybe I'll do an episode later on kidney failure um, specifically. I think it runs. I actually had a really good friend um, ask me, and, and he was uh, in prison for a lot of his 20s. And one of the things he asked me was, how come all the brothers in prison were on dialysis? How come all the older brothers were on dialysis? And... Um, you know? Yeah, I'll circle back in a later episode on that. Embolism. Okay, I am going to go on a quick vent. Uh, a clot. No good comes from smoking. So if you're still smoking, um, please, please, please reach out to your, you know, your doctor, your nurse, your whoever helps you with your health care. Because guys, a lot of times we do things the hard way because we don't know another way. But there are medications that can help you quit smoking. There are things that you can do in your life that will help you be more successful with quitting smoking. If you're on birth control, hormonal birth control, um, you should know about the signs and symptoms of, of blood clots um, and and just the signs and symptoms of embolism regardless. Sudden onset of chest pain, breathing fast, sweating, and a racing heart um, can be signs of a pulmonary embolism, <clears throat> which is the kind of embolism that can cause heart failure decompensation. And the S finally is for stenosis, valvular stenosis or renal artery stenosis. When you think of stenosis, just think of hardening. And there's absolutely no way for you listeners to know if you have valvular or renal artery stenosis. So that's kind of an acronym for um, practitioners, failures, for getting meds, arrhythmias, ischemia, lifestyle, upregulation, renal failure, embolism, and stenosis. Um, what I want to, oh, I do want to give, I said I was going to give you guys tips. So when it comes to getting your medications, there are a lot of pharmacies that offer $4 
and $10 medication lists. Uh, it's like $4 for a month's worth or $10 for three months worth, sometimes a little more than that. Um, but Google your medication name and $4 list, $4 list this med. Um, another thing that you can do is go to GoodRx and, and shop around, you know, put in your medication name and GoodRx should be able to tell you, GoodRx is a website that you can go to and print off coupons and actually look at the cost of medications at the pharmacies in your area. Okay. Mom, did you... I'm all out of breath. <laughs> Mom, did you want to weigh in on any of what I just said about decompensation, sodium in the diet, um, pregnancy? I don't know. I just have one thing that I want to say before the close of this um, edition, and it is that it is very disturbing for me the number of young men and women who have died and are dying suddenly from cardiovascular issues. In our Bible, devil may need to help me with this, there is scripture that says, my people die and are dying due to lack of knowledge. I had always thought that that scripture referred to the spiritual dimension of our lives. But lack of knowledge in this area of cardiovascular issues and heart disease is one of the things that can be changed when we uh, try to be more proactive where our health is concerned. And I'm very, very grateful that Devin, is, Devin has the dedication to the problem of being more informed, well-informed, proactive, and empowered when it comes to our health and taking care of ourselves. And I hope... Um, that this message, these programs are reaching a number of young people who are experiencing these things in numbers that we, we just never expected before. So I'm thankful for an opportunity to contribute to that. Well, thank you, Mom. I think that a lot of times I can talk about things, um, but I'm not talking about them from a personal, a personal experience. And I don't always know what's important to mention or what's important to talk about because I haven't experienced that. So I'm just really grateful for you coming and doing this episode with us because I think hearing um, a first-person account of what it's like to uh, experience heart failure and be diagnosed with heart failure and live with heart failure is uh, very important and probably goes just as far as the things that I'm talking about, um, if not further. I, In closing, I want to give you guys, and I feel like I'm missing something, but if you have questions, you know where to find me at DMP on Instagram. Just leave comments under this episode's post, and I promise I will touch back um, on those questions either there or on YouTube or, or wherever you leave them. I want to, for people who have a diagnosis of heart failure, Oh, I know what I was going to say. Another thing that we do for treating heart failure that can be very shocking to people is we give people implanted cardio defibrillators, ICDs, and um, people will often call them pacemakers, um, even though... Um, us, our cardiology nerds know that all ICDs can pace, but not all pacemakers are ICDs. You all are probably most familiar with the paddles that they use in the movies that nobody's actually used since like the 80s or <laughs> before. Um, but in, 
An ICD is a device that's implanted underneath the skin. Most people can feel theirs. Mom, can you feel yours? Yeah. Yes. Um, and the job of the ICD is to shock the heart if it stops beating or if it's beating so erratically um, that it's going to cause the person, the patient, to collapse or pass out or, or otherwise. And um, the, I mean, I'm saying this like, oh, and this is another thing we do for heart failure, but I know for talk, from talking with patients, from going through this with my mom, that it is a huge decision. It is a big deal to you know, get a defibrillator placed. And I tell patients sometimes in my very first visit with them, when I'm explaining to them the um, pathophysiology of their disease and that they may or may not get better, and if they don't get better, they're going to need a pacemaker or they're going to need an ICD. And I start that conversation early because I feel like it's a heavy bomb to get dropped on you months into it when if if you're one of those people who who doesn't recover their heart function, um, their heart strength. And I tell them, don't tell me an answer right now. I'm not asking you to give me an answer now. I want you to go home and to talk with your family and to really think about the decision uh, and what that means. Mom, you have an ICD. You have been shocked more than one time for your heart stopping. Can you talk about just what it's like to have an ICD or the decision to get it or what it was like when you got shocked, whether or not you even realized that you were um, that bad off? Well, as I was saying earlier, congestive heart failure, cardiovascular, serious cardiovascular issues are life-changing. They're going to change your, um, impose a change on your habits, on your routines. Um, I really did have to to think about uh, getting an, well, I call it a pacemaker, defibrillator, and... um, it it uh, can be my from my experience. It can be a little uncomfortable. I had I experienced pain with it, not really terrible pain, but noticeable pain uh, for longer than the cardiologist uh, thought that I would. But when I was shocked, <laughs> um, when my heart actually was failing me. I remember just sort of like passing out. It felt like I was just going down. Just, And I don't know a better phrase uh, to use. I was just going down, and I, I had a sense of it. I knew it. Um, but there's nothing you can do to help yourself. There was nothing I could do to help myself. So the implant helped me. And um, the shot wasn't as bad as what I've heard reported because I was already sitting. <laughs> Had I been standing, I probably would have been thrown to the floor by the uh, shock of it. Um, but I'm thankful for it because... I was in the middle of paying bills, and I really needed to finish doing that. <laughs> Not that you needed to pay a lot. I bet you needed to finish paying bills. <laughs> but um, it's not as um, intrusive to your life as someone, uh, some of you might think. So it's a blessing, and um, it helped me to realize, further realize, the seriousness of my condition of congestive heart failure. There was another time um, that my mom's defibrillator shocked her appropriately, and she was asleep. She doesn't remember it at all. 
actually, I didn't even know until we went to a follow-up appointment and the cardiologist interrogated her device and and said, you know, you, you could see her face kind of go, whoa, like, and she asked what happened on this date. And um, I remember it very clearly, but I one of the things that I um, think about sometimes is that I would have found my mom dead in her, in her recliner if she didn't have a defibrillator. And that's a really, that's a tough thing to think about. That's an eye-opener. That's an eye-opener, for I think, for both of us, really. Um, so, yes, the things that um, are going to be asked of you if you get a diagnosis of heart failure are going to be hard. The medications will be another expense. There will be some trial and error with the right dose for you. There will be a lot of follow-up appointments. <laughs> that's, that's when it requires uh, your patience with the process, your patience with yourself, your medication schedule. It's very serious. So just just make space for it. I would also say your patience with your providers <laughs> because we don't live in your body. Um, and we are dependent on you telling us what you're going through, what you're dealing with, um, so that we can make adjustments that make sense for both your condition and, and your life. You guys have listened for a really long time. I'm going to end um, with symptoms that warrant immediate attention. Um, if you have heart failure and you've been listening and you haven't heard anything new or you've been reminded of things that you need to be paying attention to, great. Compensated heart failure looks like no new or worsening shortness of breath. Your physical activity level is normal for you. You have no new swelling. Your feet and legs look normal for you. Your weight check is stable. We didn't really talk about that, but people with heart failure should weigh themselves regularly, if not daily. And we're looking at water weight. We're not critiquing, you know, your BMI, where we're looking for signs of, of water weight gain and no chest pain. People with a diagnosis of heart failure should pay attention if they develop a dry, hacking cough, worsening shortness of breath with activity, increased swelling in the legs, feet, and ankles, sudden weight gain of more than two to three pounds in a 24-hour period. So if you weigh yourself one morning and you're 162 and the next morning you're 165, you may want to give a phone call to your provider or double check your medications, make sure that you're taking them, or even pay attention to what you ate for dinner. I often ask patients when I see them in clinic, what did you have for dinner the night before? Just in the past week, I've heard sausages, I've heard pizza, I've heard pho, and these are people who are coming in with all this swelling in their ankles because the dietary sodium is serious, y'all. Um, or in a one-week period, five pounds of weight gain means you need to pay attention um, and use caution. Discomfort or swelling in the abdomen. Remember I said not everybody gets swollen ankles. Some people get belly fullness um, and trouble sleeping. Inability to lie flat um, is a sign where you should be paying attention. Your heart failure is not well controlled. If you need to seek attention, I mean be evaluated right away. A walk-in clinic, calling your, your um, medical office and being seen that day or the next day, or even calling 911. I tell patients all the time there's an after-hours line at our clinic. Um, where if you call in the evenings or the weekend and listen past the prompts, you can actually page the cardiologist on call. And I think that's a pretty uh, regular practice for a lot of places to get the on-call provider. Somebody's always on call and they can give you advice for what to do with your medications or forward a message to the schedulers to get you on the schedule immediately. Uh, that sudden weight game, we talked about that. New or worsening dizziness, confusion, sadness, or depression. 
and we didn't even really get into that. Um, Boy, there's so much to cover on this topic. Maybe we'll have to do a part two. Loss of appetite, increased trouble sleeping, not being able to lie flat. I hope this was a helpful episode for those of you listening, those of you who are caregivers, those of you who are spouses and partners, those of you who um, have gradually uh, become more and more fatigued and had to give up certain activities or at least come up with ways to do them differently. Um, I hope that if you found yourself in this episode, that you will seek care. I always put resources in the show notes for you to find affordable health care near you. And always, you know, talk to your friends and family, find out who they see. If you get established with somebody and you don't care for them, please ask for a referral to somebody different. I know that that's uncomfortable, but when you call to schedule your follow-up or when you're leaving and you want to schedule your follow-up, ask if it's possible that you be placed on somebody different schedule. Um, A lot of people uh, have a bad experience and never come back. And I just really want you all to understand that can be pretty serious. Um, So be empowered with the information. If you got questions, um, you know where to find me in the comments. Thank you so much for listening. I know this episode was longer than usual, but it's pretty dang important in Heart Awareness Month. Until next time, eat fresh and dance. Bye. for listening to the Purple Stethoscope. I'm your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. You can find me on social media at D the NP. That's on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and now Patreon. If you liked what you heard, go ahead and share this episode and then head over to Patreon to see how you can further support this work. Music.